preachers. Preachers preach, right? They preach and they preach and they preach and they preach and they preach. Some of them very quiet, very solemn. Some of them preach and they emphatically demonstrate how they feel about their subject matter. And they preach and they preach and they preach. Sometimes nothing happens. Why is that? Why does this happen? May 1792, William Carey stood behind a pulpit in Nottingham, England. He took as his text, Isaiah chapter number 54, lengthened the cords and strengthened the stakes and relayed his message to world evangelism, getting the gospel out to the world where Christ was not yet once named. In this pastor's meeting, in this conference of pastors, there was apathy in the room, and he could sense it. It is called the Deathless Sermon today, the Deathless Sermon. You can look it up online. And today we quote him. Expect great things from God, William Carey said. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And today we quote him. But that day they didn't quote him. In fact, instead of tears, they seemed bored. By the time the conclusion of the service had rolled around, they had gathered their belongings, stood up quietly for to leave. So taken was William Carey by the message that the Lord had laid upon his heart that he literally walked off the platform and grabbed the hand of a young pastor by the name of Andrew Fuller and got in Fuller's face and said, Fuller, call them all back. Are we not going to do something? May I ask you a question tonight? Are we going to waltz through the doors of this main auditorium? Sing all these wonderful songs and say hello, how do you do? All dressed up in our Sunday best. And go home and do nothing? Or will we do something? You see, the Apostle Paul did something. His heart was to get the message of Jesus Christ where it once was not named. If you look at Romans chapter 1, he says, I am ready, I'm ready to be offered. I am debtor, and I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's a God that Kevin could say that? What's a God that every mother's child in this building would be able to say that? I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Think of what was going through the mind of Christ here. Jesus went about all the cities and villages when he saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion. The book of Jude, we find on some having compassion, making a difference. We must make a difference. Not for our sake, but for his. There is much at stake. The harvest truly is plenteous. The laborers are few. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest. He'll send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, this series is going to be three weeks, three lessons. The seed for this message was planted about a year ago, right around this time. I was in Ohio with a friend. His name is Daniel. And uh, he, he, is a, uh, he, he is a 
pastor's kid in Mexico. He's Mexican by ethnicity and by birth. And uh, he, he was just struggling with many things growing up as a kid. It was amazing, the, the struggles that he told about. In Mexico, his father was involved in some unsavory business that I shall not describe for you, but he came around and he became a pastor and now he's serving the Lord. And Daniel, as a pastor's kid, now surrendered to full-time ministry, he was on the phone. He was on the phone with his brother-in-law. He was telling his brother-in-law, oh, I'm complaining about the state of fundamentalism. Everything is going wrong in my life, it seems. And people are talking about this and chirping that and doing stuff that they ought not be doing. And his brother-in-law said, stop, 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 hold it right there. Your ministry is not called Set Everybody Straight Ministries. Now, this is Anchor Baptist Church. We are not Set Everybody Straight Ministries. No, we're the Anchor Baptist Church of Burnaby, called to do something for the Lord. And he said, Daniel, I'm on the phone with you right now, this brother-in-law. And he says, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go soul winning. I'm going to read scripture. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to tell other people about Jesus Christ. Isn't that the essence of what we ought to be doing? We ought to be telling people about Jesus Christ. So I have two questions for you today, and we'll be through. Number one, why are we here? Why are we here? Why bother darkening the doors of a church building? Why bother being here? Are we here to sit, sulk, and sour? No, we're here to serve. We're to major in ministry. We're told that we are the salt of the earth. Are we? We're supposed to be salt dispensaries, not salt depositories, keeping all the salt to ourselves. Salt makes people thirsty for what we have. We ought to have a life that says, look at Jesus. The church is not the way to God. Jesus Christ is the way to God. The church is the sign that points to Jesus Christ. We ought to be the church in this day and age. There are two motivations. There are two motivations for life that every Christian must have. Firstly, we must have the love of Christ, the love of Christ. The love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ constraineth us. And secondly, eternity. Eternity. Eternity is forever. We must live for what money cannot buy and what death cannot take away. Now, let me be honest. If you're not a Christian today, this message is not necessarily for you. You know, these, these uh, three services that we have, one Sunday morning, one Sunday night, one Wednesday night, these are really, truly to disciple the people of God and to rally us. If you're saved, that's for you. And now, nowadays, there's kind of a dual purpose in church services where it's become evangelistic. If you want to get religion, you come to church but this ought to be the time where we're informed and we learn uh, not just how to preach the gospel, how to pray, how to inform other people about the truth, but to mobilize and get out there and do the work of God that he would have us to do. Why are we here? Why are we here? The love of Christ constraineth 
us. You know, on the cross, when Jesus died, he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, in that passage of Scripture, that's the only time he ever calls his father God. The reason why he called his father God is so that we one day might be able to call him father. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And when he saw those multitudes, when he saw those scores and scores and thousands and thousands of people, his heart was moved with compassion. He couldn't help but tell his disciples, the harvest is plenteous. Look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. The love of Christ constraineth us. Think of this. They said of Napoleon. Historians will tell us of Napoleon, how he cut a path through the Alps, that great mountain pass there in Europe. And historians and engineers this day marvel. How did he do that? How did he do that? And, and there, there, there are no doubt soldiers with him saying, Napoleon, it can't be done. Are you silly? You're out of your mind. We'll never get all these soldiers. I'll never get all these munition carts over the Alps. But Napoleon, as only he could do, straightened his coat, pointed towards the Alps and said, then there shall be no Alps. And I'm not venerating a man like Napoleon. So hear me out. I believe that there was a day where Satan, the devil, said, he looked at this world He looked at our sin. He said, look at this world. Look at all these sinful people. Jesus, you'll never have them. You'll never get them. Look at all this sin. Jesus Christ said, then there shall be no sin. And he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made righteous. Christ died for us. Christ died for you, mister. Christ died for you, madam. He died for each and every one of us in this room. And he didn't just stay dead. He rose again the third day. After three days, he came back to life to show his victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. The love of Christ constraineth us. I mentioned eternity as our second reason. Why are we here? Eternity. Eternity is long. Turn to Luke chapter number 16. The gospel according to Luke chapter number 16. Did you know that heaven is a real place? Did you know that hell is a real place? The people of God must get in touch with the God of the people. Do you know that? The people of God must get in touch with the God of the people. We've heard of the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And basically, if you haven't heard the story before, I'll simplify it for you. A beggar a hobo, he died, and he went to heaven. And a rich man who had all of this world's goods went to hell. Look at verse 22, Luke 16 and 22. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Or if I may say very loosely, heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. Look at verse number 23. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in Torments. 
Hell is a real place, and real people go there. Dear friend, if you're not saved, don't go to hell. You don't have to. Jesus paid the price. He paid and paid the price so that you may go to heaven. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. Hell is a place where if someone goes there, they are separated from God. They are separated from God. And they, they experience his wrath forever and ever and ever. But heaven, oh, heaven's a wonderful place. What makes heaven heaven? J-E-S-U-S. Heaven will be heaven because Jesus is there. Heaven will be heaven because he's there. And some young people today get the idea of heaven being a place where we'll just sit on a cloud and we'll pluck our golden harp. That's not heaven. If you read your Bible, you will find that heaven is a wonderful place where we'll worship the King of Kings and everything that you enjoy in this world will be more enjoyable up there. Heaven's a wonderful place, but eternity is forever. The lake of fire burns forever and ever and ever and ever. And that street of gold is forever and ever and ever. And it's not about the street of gold. It's not necessarily about the lake of fire, but what it is about is, do you want to be in the presence of the devil and his angels? Or do you want to be in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? The choice is yours. The choice is yours. Why are we here? Two motivations, the love of Christ and eternity. We have an eternal inheritance. We have two, two, uh, two blessed consolations that we know will last forever. Only two forever things in this world. Two things last forever. The word of God and the souls of men. The word of God and the souls of men. And hear me, please. Preachers and those in full-time ministry, those who minister on a daily basis or help out as they can, wherever they can, they have the blessed opportunity to connect those two. The word of God and the souls of men. These are the only two things that last forever and will live for everything else. But God says, the word of God lasts forever. My words shall not pass away. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. The word of God and the souls of men. Consider that. Ponder. Ponder the need. See the need and take the lead. So why are we here? Because of the love of Christ. Because Jesus loves me. Dr. David Dick Wilson was the last of the, one of the last of the fundamentalists at Princeton University. And after 80 years of ministry, he got pretty old. After 70, 80 years of ministry, he was asked by one of his students, Dr. Wilson, after all these years of ministry, what do you have to show for? What is the greatest thing you've learned in all these years of ministry? The tears rolled into his cheeks like water racing through a canal. The greatest thing I've ever learned is this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Jesus Christ loves even me. And that's what Dr. Wilson said. Hey, that's the greatest thing in the world, the love of Christ. May you focus in on that. May you ponder that. And remember that eternity is long. Eternity lasts forever. Did you know that 85% of the world is on its way to hell? If we believe that the scriptures are true, if we believe this book is true, 85% of the world 
is going to hell. I'm not happy about that. I don't say that gleefully. And I can illustrate it to you. Going to the Pew Research Report and various aggregate sources, 15% of the world is atheist, agnostic, or apathetic. They don't give a rip. They do not care. 15%. 5% of the world is Buddhist, Buddhist or Buddhist, depending on how you say that. 5%. 25% of the world is Islam. That's 2 billion people are Islam. If they adhere to the central tenets of Islam, they are on their way to hell. And uh, there are many people who call themselves by different names. They say maybe they're Christian or they're Catholic. I'm just saying this nominally. If they actually adhere to the central tenets of what they say they believe here, uh, there, there have been people who say, oh, I am Islam. I am Islam. And they've been categorized in this 25%. 15% of the world is atheist, 5% is Buddhist, 25% is Islam, 15% is uh, ascribing to Hinduism, they are Hindu, 15% are Catholic, they have added to the Bible and say that you can get to heaven by way of the sacraments or by prayer beads or by baptism. There's no other way but Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And if that's true, odds are the first stranger that I meet when I walk out of this room will be headed to a crisis eternity without God. Would you ponder today? Proverbs 4.26 says, Ponder the path of thy feet, let all thy ways be established. If we really say that this book is true, oh, we ought to live by it. We ought to live by it. We ought to live like it. This world is going to hell in a handbasket and here we are voyeuristically watching. Why are we not saying something? Why are we not saying something? Fight for your children. Fight for your children. If you do not, your precious little girl may become the dirty plaything of a wicked criminal. Your darling little boy may end up listening to an atheistic professor at a secular university and taking all his notes of life from that individual. Nehemiah 4.14. Nehemiah 4.14. Turn there, if you would, with me, please. I would admonish you, fight for your children. Nehemiah 4.14 I looked and rose up, said unto the nobles and rulers and to the rest of the people, be ye not afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Oh, we got to fight again. Not cruelly. Not, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities and powers, we wrestle against the devil and his devils, his demons. And there's science falsely so-called and vain philosophies inundating our world. We must fight them tooth and nail. And already, Jesus Christ has 
won the battle. We must adhere to his guidebook. We must adhere to his instructional manual. Without him, we can do nothing. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Abide in the vine. The abiding life is the abounding life. We must stay close to the source because the secret sauce is the sinless Savior. It's Jesus Christ. The secret sauce is the sinless Savior. Think of that. We must have preachers that preach hell hot, heaven sweet, sin black. Jesus paid it all, preaching salvation full and free. Where is that desire today in our people? Fight for your children. Why are we here? The love of Christ and eternity. Because the word of God and the souls of men must be connected. Number two, what should we do? The first question was, why are we here? The second question is, what should we do? If you'll come back the week after Mother's Day, that'll be the 15th of May, we're going to highlight our next point, which is pray. So this is ponder. We're going to pray. And then right after that, the next week is going to be preach. We're going to ponder. We must meditate. We must worship before we work. We must ponder, we must pray, and we must preach. We must preach. This gospel needs to go to the ends of the earth. The truth must be received. The, the truth must be believed, and it must be delivered. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. And uh, it, it said in the New Testament, that which he have heard in the ear, declare upon the housetops. Many of us are running, but we haven't heard anything in the ear yet. We've got to hear something in the ear. We've got to hear from heaven before we start telling other people about the difference God's made in our lives. He saw the multitude, and he was moved with compassion. Knowledge is found by looking around. Wisdom is found by looking up. You must ponder. I must ponder today. We must ponder the truths of Scripture. One more illustration, and I'll close. R.G. Lee was an American preacher, and he preached for a long time, and he told the story of a boy in South Carolina, tragically, caught in a schoolhouse fire, a school building on fire many years ago. And the men of that town, the men of that small village, they were trying their best to put it out, but they couldn't. And this boy was stuck in the fire and he made eye contact with his dad. He made eye contact with his father. And he looks right at his dad as they make eye contact. And he yells out over the flames, Daddy, can't you save me? Daddy, can't you save me? I'm right here. But the flames were such that strong men held his father back. And he couldn't do anything. And he watched helplessly as he saw his son perish in those flames. They see of the father that he didn't live for two years after that. But this world turns to everything today. Culture. Culture, can't you save me? Well, I can teach you how to dress and hold your teacup just right, but I can't save you. Uh, 
philosophy. Can't you save me? I can tell you more and more about less and less. <laughs> you know everything about nothing, but I cannot save you. Science, can't you save me? Well, I can tell you how far the earth is from the sun, but I can't save you. Finance, finance, can't you save me? Oh, I can, I can help you gather as much stuff as you can, just to leave it for the person after you. But I can't save you. Who then can save? Thing above the battle strife. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And he does save today. This is the message that every boy, girl, mom, dad, husband, and wife was here today. And we ought to do something about it. We ought to do something about it.